0: The stadium was filled with atheists, and my mission seemed impossible, convince them of the gospel. The city government had opposed the meeting, but the parliament of Soviet Moldova overrode their decision. Tension mounted as I preached. BOTTLE Of water exploded on the platform. And the sound system quit working as I quoted John 3 16. I continue to proclaim that there is a God and that his Son Jesus died for our sins. At the close of my message, I asked the atheists to place their faith in Jesus and join me for prayer at the front of the platform no one responded my heart braced as I panned the crowd I asked again and still no response then one poor peasant woman came by herself carrying flowers and handed them to me she dropped to her knees and prayed alone in front of thousands of atheists. Suddenly, hundreds of people streamed toward the platform. More than 2,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. It took one courageous woman to kneel alone in prayer, and God changed thousands of lives. One praying person can change the course of history. For the rest of the story, I invite you to read Unashamed, a memoir of dangerous faith. amen I'm so glad to be here I come every Sunday well most Sundays I'm traveling a lot but whenever I'm in town and here is where I'm at on Sunday morning and uh, my wife and I and by the way my wife is here some of you may have not met her her name is Tex Uh, that's because she comes from Texas I come from Louisiana don't worry they don't call me Louise because I come from Louisiana But we celebrated on June 8th this year, just a few weeks ago, our 50th anniversary. And uh, God has been so good to us. And so we we felt it was appropriate that uh, this book has just been released, my autobiography written by Jerry B. Jenkins, the author of the Left Behind series. And and the first place for us to make it public was right here at Alamo City Church. So uh, the reason... Uh, that's so important to me is because uh, Alamo City has played such a critical role in my life. Pastor David, uh, we've been here. We were some of the founding members at Alamo City. We were some of the first ones that first Sunday. Uh, we were there and a part of the church. And, and there were a couple of things that I, I felt whenever this church started, and I sensed. And the reason I've been here for 30 years now is because, first of all, it's in the DNA. Prayer is in the DNA of this church. People pray. Ever since the beginning until now, this has been a praying church. And when my wife and I came to San Antonio, we said, you know, we're going to all of these places and and we need people who will pray for us. And this church has been a praying church and has prayed for us. And I just want to say thank you today. So thank you, Alamo City, for standing with us in prayer. The second thing is, uh, Pastor David is a man of prayer. You know, We see him here publicly and we can hear his messages and I don't know about you, but God has just spoken to me and and it's just been consistent week after week after week for years now that God has had a word for me through Pastor David. And I don't know about you, but for me, God has spoken to my heart and I appreciate that so much. But even more than that, I know the reason God has had that word for me is because David has been a man of prayer yeah. David is a man who seeks the face of God and and so because he seeks the face of God God's blessed him and God's used him and literally people around the world as a result of his ministry here at Alamo City so uh, I, I'm just so thankful to be able to be here today and share with you the rest of the story and by the way the rest I said the rest of the story in the book well there's a part of the rest of the story I want to share with you this morning uh, uh, from from this video and that is that you may not know this as I said Prayer is in the DNA of this church when it first started. That, what happened there was at the early beginnings of this church, and the church had been praying for me. My wife has a prayer group that she's met with for, for 30 years now. Ever since we've been in San Antonio, she's met with a group of ladies every Tuesday. They pray together. They pray for world evangelism and for revival, those two things. And uh, Early on when that happened, I was going to Moldova. It was still the Soviet Union. Nothing like this had ever been done there. And so this was a very historic meeting. We were going, as I mentioned in the video, there's a lot of tension surrounding this meeting. And I asked those ladies in my wife's prayer group if they would pray for, for God to work, for God to move in Soviet Moldova. And God, as you saw on the uh, video there, God did work and we saw many people come to Christ. But one thing that you didn't see was this. In my wife's prayer group was a lady. That lady was a member of Alamo City Church. That lady was a praying lady. And that lady, after I came back, I shared this story in our newsletter. I uh, showed some pictures that you saw there and put it in our newsletter and, and shared the story of that lady coming by herself and how many people came And this lady from my uh, my wife's prayer group called me and said, Sammy, can I come to your office? There's something I need to show you. And she came to my office and she brought with her her prayer journal that she had typed up on her computer. She typed in every day how God impressed her to pray. And she had been praying for this meeting in Soviet Moldova and she recorded the impressions that God had placed on her heart. And she had prayed, she had written out, she had seen in her mind just a poor peasant woman in Moldova. And she had prayed that God would give that poor peasant woman the courage to do whatever it was that God was telling her to do. And that woman came in front of thousands of atheists knelt down, gave her life to Christ, and thousands followed her example. One praying person in Moldova impacted a stadium filled with atheists. One praying person in Alamo City Church impacted that one praying person in Moldova. The power of one praying person. I made a statement in that video. I said, one praying person can change the course of history. Those are not just words. I have beheld it with my own eyes. I have seen nations changed. I have seen communities transform. I have seen churches turn inside out, upside down because of one praying person. Now in the scripture... There is a man who is, as I did a study of his life, made a tremendous impact on my life and really changed my whole strategy of ministry. Early on, I had been in the ministry for about 10 years, and as I did a study on the life of Moses, it changed my life forever. And I want to share with you just a little bit of the study that I did and how God spoke to my heart, and I pray that he will speak to your heart and that out of this, you will become one Praying person. One person who can affect your family. One person who can affect your community. One person who can affect this church. One person who can affect our city, our nation, and our world. One praying person. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, and I'm going to give you a little bit of history. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But before we get to the scriptures, There's there's a description given of Moses in in several passages. The Bible says that Moses, it describes him as Moses, the servant of the Lord. Another place calls him Moses, the man of God. Another place says that Moses was the greatest prophet to arise in all of Israel. Now, All of those are wonderful descriptions and any one of us would love to be recorded in this book as being that kind of person. But there is one other description that is my favorite description and it's this description that I believe is the reason that Moses had all of those other descriptions. And it's in verse 11 and it says this of chapter 33. It says, and God used to speak to Moses just as a man speaks to a friend. Now Moses was the friend of God. The reason Moses was a man of God was because he was a friend of God. The reason Moses was the servant of the Lord was because he was a friend of God. The reason he was the greatest prophet to rise in all of Israel was because he was a friend of God. God wants to be our friend. He wants to have an intimate relationship with him, us to have that relationship with him. And when we are his friend, then God will do things far beyond anything we could think or imagine because our God is a great God. And God would speak to Moses just as a man speaks to his friend. Now, there are three parts of Moses' life. It could be broken up into three 40 year periods. The first 40 years, Moses was the young, powerful, strong Moses. If you remember his parents who were great people of faith, when the edict came that the firstborn male was to be killed by the, by the Egyptians, they, they, they took that little baby, up, talking about the Hebrew children, they, they took that little Hebrew baby and they placed him in the crocodile infested Nile River and they trusted him to God. And he ended up in the palace of the Pharaoh's daughter. And so she took him in and she raised him as her own child. Now when that happened, Moses grew up with great dignity, with great skill, with great intellect, with great power at his disposal because he had access to everything in one of the greatest cultures of human history at that time. And so Moses was powerful. He was smart. He had all of these things. But I want you to know, God could not use a young, smart, powerful Moses. God had to allow Moses to experience failure. And failure became his best friend because Moses went out. He knew he really wasn't an Egyptian. He knew he was a Hebrew. He went out and he saw these Egyptians messing with his Hebrew brothers and he slayed one of them. And as a result of that, he became fearful and he fled into the Midianite desert. So God could not use him. But you see, in the Midianite desert, there he became a nobody when he was a somebody, God couldn't use him. When he was a nobody, God began to mold him and make him into the man that he became. And you see, a lot of us say, well, oh, Brother Sammy, I, I, you know, you, you, you're, you're somebody. You're out there doing that. You write books. You've got these things, da, da, da. All of the. I want to tell you what it's not the somebodies that God uses, it's the nobodies. And it's only until we all become a nobody that God can use us. And so Moses became a nobody. (laughs) He was a poor shepherd out in the Midianite Desert. I mean, all he did for 40 years was tend sheep. And that's exactly where God wanted him. Do you know why? Because the greatest characteristic that God wanted to build into his heart was that of humility. You see, we sang about amazing grace. We sang about grace and how grace found me. Do you know how grace finds us? Grace is out looking. And you know what? When grace finds a heart of humility, grace jumps into that heart. Grace is looking for a heart of humility. And when grace finds such a heart, the Bible, the Bible says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when he finds the humble of heart, God does amazing things. And we come out with a new song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And so that's what happened to Moses in that second 40 year period. Now, the third 40 year period is when he had his ministry. Now, that's encouraging to me because I'm going to turn 71 later this month. And Moses didn't begin his ministry until he was 80. So I'm getting close. (laughs) Uh, You know, Moses was 80 years old. I mean, when he began, here's this old man. And that's when God took him and used him. And he went. And of course, he led the children of Israel out of their bondage with signs and wonders and miracles. And they crossed the Red Sea and they went. And for 40 years, they spent in the wilderness. Now in the wilderness there, Moses was responsible for the people. And an estimate by many scholars, historians, say that there probably were about 3 million people because there were 600,000 fighting men that Moses had. So you take their their spouses and their children and you have at least 3 million people there that Moses was responsible for. Now, they were in a Midianite desert. (laughs) He was, excuse me, they were in the desert. They were in the wilderness. and, And there he had to take care of them. He had to feed them. He had to clothe them. He had to settle their disputes. He had to provide water for them. How would he do that? How would he do that? Well, I want us to read how he did it, what the secret was to his success as a leader in those last 40 years. In Exodus chapter 33 and beginning with verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp for, for <clears throat> far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of the meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Then the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned, <clears throat> turned again into the camp, returned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. Moses had a place where he went and he met with God. He got away from the multitudes, he got away from the noise, he got away from the crowds, he got alone, and he met with God. And that was the secret of his ministry. How would he feed the people? How would he clothe the people? How would he he deal with these insubordinate people? He met with God. He had a place. He would get outside the tent and he would go there and he would meet with the Lord. He needed God's wisdom. He needed God's wisdom. I tell you what, if you read what these people were like, these 3 million people, a a, a place twice the size of San Antonio, a population twice that size, and they were, from everything we read and everything we know, I mean, these people were not easy to lead. They were rebellious. They were critical. They used their tongues to speak against Moses' leadership. How would he lead those people? <laughs> well, he had a place where he went and he sought the face of God. And he said, God, I need you. It was called the Tent of the meeting. you know why it was called the Tent of the meeting? Because that's where Moses met with God. And God would give him wisdom. And I tell you what, I, I, a lot of us say, well, Sammy, you know, man, I, I boy, my work is rough. You know, I've got, I got these problems. My family life, it's rough. I need, I've got these problems. My, my life over here, these friends I have, man, it's rough. I've got these problems. I want to tell you what, whatever problem you has, have, God has the answer to. And you need wisdom. And before you do anything else, Before you get into the noise, before you get into the battle, before you go into all of that stuff, you need to find a place and pitch a tent a place where it's just you and God, and you meet with God, and God meets with you. And I'll tell you what, God will give you wisdom. I don't know what what, he, what kind of prayers he's answered for you. And there's a lot of my prayers he's answered, and there's a lot of them that have got a no answer to it. And there's a lot that I'm still waiting on. But I'll tell you what, there's one prayer that he always answers, and he always answers positively, and he always answers quickly, and he always answers in an amazing way. And you know what prayer it is? The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give to all men liberally. God will give you wisdom and you need wisdom when you go out into the world, when you go from here. And I tell you what, I love to hear Pastor David speak, but every one of us need to be listening to God every single day. We need to find a place and just get away and get along and say, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you in my family, in my ministry, in my home, in my work, among my friends. I need your wisdom in this situation. Moses needed God's wisdom, but he also needed God's provision. I mean, how are you going to feed 3 million people? How are you going to provide water? Can you, you think about how much water we drink and how much water is needed for the human body's consumption every day and you multiply that times 3 million and he's out in the middle of a desert. How's he going to do it? God was his provider. In fact, one morning they woke up and there was this flaky stuff all over the ground. And they said, What is it? And the way you say that in Hebrew is mana. And so they said, Mana, what is it? They had no clue what it was, so they called it mana. What is it? And there was this what is it stuff all over the ground. And 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 they 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 God provided, and it was enough nourishment for them every single day. God provided for them. Water would come out of a rock. And God would provide water for them. How did that happen? Moses had a tent of the meeting. Moses had a place where he met with God and God met with him. Moses needed God's wisdom. Moses needed God's provision. You need God's provision. I need God's provision. I want to tell you something. I've learned, and the older I get, the more I learn it, that every day, is a grace gift from God. Not only is it a grace gift from God, every day's health is a grace gift from God. And I don't need to take it for for advantage. I I don't need to take it for granted. I, I need to understand that God, I need you today. I can't live without you. You are my provider. You are Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not savvy enough to really provide for my wife, for my family. I, I need you, God, and God will provide. So Moses needed God as his provider. That's why he had that tent where he went and met with God. But there was another thing, and this is the most important. God needed, Moses needed God's wisdom Moses needed God's provision, and Moses needed God's presence. Oh, without him, I can do nothing. I need him more than I need life. I need him. And do you know what happened when Moses would go and Moses would meet with God and the presence of God would come to that tent and stand at the door of the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come and stand right there. The spirit of the living God came and met with Moses. And do you know what happened? When God met with Moses, People at the entrance of their tents, they went to their tents and they worshiped God. There's something that happens when you worship God and you meet with God, the people around you are going to start meeting with God. The people in your church are going to meet with God. The people in your community are going to meet with God. When there is a praying person, when there is one praying person, it can affect someone all the way over in Moldova who will become a praying person. And I want to tell you what, that is the seed for revival. That is the seed for a great awakening. You know, today we, we, we talk about, what, what we're going through in and, and our nation and, the, and all of the uproar. And, and there seems to be such a lack of civility in our communication. And there's anger and hate uh, from different peoples. And, and, and it just seems like a tough time in our country. But I want to tell you something. It's not the first tough time in our country. And I want you to know that God has moved in, in times times just like this. I, I can tell you my ministry, my wife and I, right after we got married, I was asked to preach a, a revival and meeting a little bit what they call a revival meeting, a four-day meeting in Monroe, Louisiana at the Calvary Baptist Church. <laughs> and a, a pastor came to me and he said, Sammy, He says, I've been praying, and man, I believe God wants to do something among our young people. Would you come and preach among them? I said, Pastor, I'd love to do that. And Pastor Morris said to me, he said, well, well, Sammy, I want you to meet with some of the young people before. I said, okay. So he called all the young people together. You know how many showed up? Four. And you know what? None of them were interested. And I told Pastor Morris, I said, Pastor, this isn't going to work. And then I saw the twinkle in his eye. Smile on his face and he said, but Sammy, I've been praying and God's going to do something. I said, okay, pastor, I'll go on your faith. We got there that first night I preached. There were about 25 people was all. I preached my heart out. I gave an invitation for people to give their lives to Christ. Nobody came. I wanted to say to Pastor Morris, Pastor, I told you so but I saw the twinkle in his eye and the smile on his face and he said it's okay Sammy I've been praying God's going to do something I said okay pastor next night 25 people again preached my heart out gave an invitation no one comes we're about to close the service and a man walks up to pastor Morris and he's weeping and he throws his arms around him and and they they talk a little while and they get on their knees and they pray and Nobody knows what to do. And then he gets up, man gets up and he's crying. And he says, "Uh, I'm a leader of the young people in this church. and, And I've been a poor example. I've been a poor role model. And I just got out and asked God to forgive me and cleanse me. And I want to ask the young people to forgive me. And I want to ask the church to forgive me. And I want to tell you what, in that one divine moment, God came. God visited that church. And I want to tell you what, those 25 people, every one of them were on their faces prostrate before God and God fell on that place. The next night, more people came. By the time it was to end, there was not enough room in the church. And Pastor Morris, with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face, said, Sammy, we need to extend this another week. But we don't have enough room at the church, so we need to move to the university campus. We moved to the university campus. We outgrew that building. We went another week, outgrew that building. Pastor I said, I think we need to talk to the governor, former governor of Louisiana, who owns a TV station, and ask for time to tell what God's doing on TV. I said, Pastor, I don't think he's going to let us do that. But then I saw the smile on his face and the twinkle in his eye. I said, Okay, Pastor. We went and talked to former governor No. And. Governor No gave us two 15-minute primetime slots to share what God was doing on TV. And then he turned around called the mayor and asked the mayor to donate us to the Civic Center. The last night of that meeting, we had thousands of young people in the Civic Center in Monroe, Louisiana, and the Spirit of God changed a whole generation of young people in Monroe, Louisiana. A spirit of prayer. You see, Pastor Morris, one man, I didn't believe it. Nobody else believed it, but one man who prayed, one man who sought the face of God, and he said, Sammy, just join me. Come on, join me, Sammy, with this. I believe God. Then do you know what happened? That spirit of prayer caught in me. It caught in text. It caught in some of the students at the university there. And and we had a coffee house ministry there that, that had a place right on the edge of the campus. And so we turned that coffee house, that coffee shop, into a place of prayer. And 24 hours a day, students were in that place praying and seeking the face of God. And when that happened, one night, I'll never forget, God spoke to my heart and said, Sammy, walk. Walk across America. And it sounded crazy to me, but I, I felt like he told me to take a wheelbarrow, fill it with Bibles, and just walk across America and call people back to the Word of God. i never heard of anything like that before, and so I didn't know what to do. We prayed. God just spoke to my heart my wife's heart, five other uh, young people's hearts, and the seven of us left Monroe, Louisiana with a wheelbarrow filled with Bibles, walking across America and calling America back to God. I don't have time to tell you all the stories. I'm just going to tell you one. God, I mean, everywhere we went, God just had things. And by the way, he, we'd, we'd give out these Bibles, these little New Testaments. And when the wheelbarrow would be empty, somebody would come up with more Bibles and give them to us. And all along the way, he just filled that wheelbarrow wheel with Bibles. And we gave them out. We were carrying the Bible, we were walking in, walking across through the South. We went to every major SEC, Southeastern Conference University campus, not every one of them, but most of them. We went to the major campuses. And so we went to the University of Alabama after the University of Alabama, went to the University of Georgia. We walked onto the campus of University of Georgia with this little barrel loaded with Bibles, young people, and one of us was holding the Bible up. And uh, that very day, there had been a great tragedy in America. Kent State, at the university there, National Guardsmen went in. There were protests taking place. National Guardsmen went in, shot some of the students, and protests and riots broke out across America on ev- almost every major university campus. When we walked on to the University of Georgia campus from <laughs> our wheelbarrow filled with Bibles, students had taken over the administration building and we're threatening to burn down the administration building. We walked on the campus saying, What in the world is going on <laughs> with our little Bibles? And students from some of the campus ministries came to us and said, Sammy, would you pray with us for peace? And so we joined them in praying for peace on the campus. But as as, as we did, we we stayed up all night praying and we made posters. Signs said, real peace is Jesus. And the next day when all the demonstrations were taking place, we went to them and we started passing out our Bibles, passing out Christian literature. And I, I got on the platform and I was behind the guys who were speaking and I was passing out some of the New Testaments and some of the Christian materials there. And, and, and the guy who was speaking was, we need to burn down the administration building. And everyone, yes. We need a revolution in our country. And they' yes. And all this was going on. And I was right behind him passing out the Bibles. And so when, whenever he finished, he turned around and he thought I was the next speaker. And he hands me the microphone. And I said, oh, God. Remember I tell you about praying for wisdom? <laughs> I said, oh, God, I need it now. That's all I knew to say was I need it now. And I looked out. And uh, at at that crowd and everybody was waiting for me to say, and I I looked out and I said, we need a revolution. And everyone, yes. (laughs) And revolution means change. Yes. And I said, the only way we'll change is to have a change of the human heart. And everyone looked at me like, where did he come from? (laughs) What's he gonna say next? And I said, there's only one person who can change the human heart, and his name is Jesus Christ. I waited for the stones and tomatoes, but they never came. And I preached Jesus for the next 10 minutes. And when I finished, I turned around, I handed it to the next guy behind me, and he got up, and do you know what he said? He said, I have only one question. What would Jesus do if he were here? Now, it's turned from the debate was, should we burn down the campus to what would Jesus do? Now, I want to tell you what, God brought peace on the campus. And you can go to the University of Georgia yearbook for the next year when it came out talking about what had happened There is a full page picture in the next year's yearbook of my wife holding a sign that says real peace is Jesus. (laughs) And they carried the gospel in that yearbook. God turned an incredible situation around. It all began with one pastor praying. And then... When he met with God at the tent of the meeting, then something happened to Sammy, and Sammy met with God at the tent of the meeting, and something happened to Tex, and she met with God at the tent of the meeting, and Ken, and Richard, and Ray, and Connie, and Charlotte, we all met with God at our own place, and then it spread, and what? And I'm not saying this itself, but at the same time that this was happening, God was doing something in other places, Asbury College campus there were students who were praying and one divine moment a chapel service that was supposed to last 30 minutes ended up lasting seven days and seven nights without stop people flew to Lexington Kentucky drove out to little Wilmore where Asbury is located Methodist College and University and 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 the Spirit of God began to move on college campuses and seminary campuses all across America. Out in California, God was doing the same thing. God began to move. You see, one praying person can change. And when one praying person prays, those at their tents will meet with God. And when enough people all over begin to meet with God, that is what we call revival. That is what we call spiritual awakening, the presence of God among his people. And that's what we need. We need one praying person. But there's something else that we need to understand. When we go to meet with God, our primary objective is not to tell God what to do. But our primary objective is to hear what God wants us to do. You see, when Moses met with the Lord, according to verse 11, the Lord used to speak to Moses just as a man speaks to his friend. And God will speak to us. You say, Sammy, how will God speak to you? Listen, this book God will speak to us through this book. You know, every Sunday when I come here and I listen to Pastor David, I want to tell you what I walk away with something. I really do. I'm not just saying this. I walk away with something God spoken to my heart. My wife and I normally talk about it. You know, we don't have a roasted preacher over lunch. We have praise and thanksgiving because God has spoken to our hearts about things. And, and but you know why God speaks to our hearts through Brother David? Because he preaches the word. Yes. He just, and sometimes it's not even what Brother David's saying. It's just when I'm, he's reading the word, man, God just right. speaks to me. Right. And, 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 and he preaches the word. And, and the word of God, you see, the Bible is, is not something that we legalistically read. We go to it because we're, it's bread. It's the bread of life. And we go and we read the word of God and God speaks to us through his word. He has a word for us. Oh, listen, Uh, several years ago, God began to speak to my heart. I've I've, I've read all the great guys who've written on prayer. There's some wonderful books, and I would encourage you to read some of the great classics on prayer. Andrew Murray is one of my favorite writers on the subject of prayer. And I don't know if it was him or or E.M. Bounds, but one of those said something about their personal prayer life that touched my heart. And this is what it said. It said, the first thing I do is read the word. I don't ask God for things. I don't talk to God, but I read the word. And then after I've read the word sufficiently that God has spoken to my heart and I ask him to speak to my heart, then my prayers begin to emerge from what God has said to my heart. And I said, that's interesting. And so I started doing that. Instead of Reading the word, I, before what I was doing, I was, I'd tell God everything that was on my heart, and then I would read the word. And the Lord just put it on my heart to start doing it the way He said. And by the way, this is not legalistic, not something I'm just telling you from my own personal experience what God did to me. But when I started reading the word and just saying, God, speak to my heart, it changed the way I prayed. Because I began to see things through God's eyes and not my own eyes. I began to see things through what was on his heart rather than all the things that were on my heart. And then when I began to pray about the things on my heart, I had his heart for what was on my heart. And God would speak to my heart. And it was just just such a, it, it just opened up the sense of God's presence for me. So I want to encourage you to know this, that prayer is not just us talking to God. But a major portion of becoming a man or a woman of prayer is letting God speak to us and tell us what's on his heart. And the way you find that is in this book. Let him speak to your heart. But one last thing that I want to say to you from this passage of Scripture. I find it very interesting because in this passage, it says that there was a young man in the tent with Moses. His name was Joshua. And Joshua was the son of Nun, And, you know, before we get to this place in verse 11, we don't find Joshua in, you know, it's not in this story, this particular story. But all of a sudden, it's sort of like a little P.S. Joshua was in the tent. And you know what? When Moses met with God and God met with Moses and the people met with God and, and God met with the people, after all that was said and done, after all that was finished and Moses left, young Joshua, a young man, stayed in the tent. You know why that was so significant? Because there was another generation that was going to need to know how to pray. There was another generation that was going to need to know that the, the source of wisdom. There was another generation that was going to need to know the place of provision there was another generation that was going to need to know the manifest presence of God. It's wonderful to talk about what God did in 1970 as I did this morning, but I want you to know the God of yesterday is the God of today. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his name is not I was that I was, but it's I am that I am. And he will be with us Today, he will meet with us today, and we need a young generation. I want to challenge every young person in this room to get a vision to be God's man, to be God's woman. We need a youth revival, we need an outpouring of the Spirit of God among the young people. But I want you to know something adults, older people, guys my age, most of you are younger than me. We need to be a role model. We need to be a mentor of people of prayer. They need to see it in us. They need to see it lived out in us. And I want to challenge you to take this spirit of prayer, begin to meet together and pray together and seek the face of God together. I want to tell you about one young man today. One young man today, and I, this is what I'm going to close with. <clears throat> his name is Jolly. That's not his real name. It's a nickname. He lives in India. He grew up as a Sikh. He heard about Jesus, gave his heart to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, believed on Jesus. And when he did, he comes from a, a very nice, wealthy home. And his parents put him out of the home he was dead to them. He was on his own. There was a pastor that took him in, Pastor Nazir, precious brother, and just began to be a father, a spiritual father to him, and begin to help him to grow in Christ and, and be what God wants him to be. And, and, and he could, Pastor Nazir could see in Jolly that God's hand was on him. And so when I came over to preach there in, in the Punjab, Pastor Nazir said, Sammy, Jolly's going to translate for you. And I just want you to spend time with me. And I tell you what, he was like a sponge. You know, we'd stay at the same hotel together. We'd come down for breakfast. I could hardly eat breakfast because he was just pumping me with questions. We'd have lunch together. He'd pump me with questions. I lost more weight in India. I tell you, Jolly just so hungry, hungry and thirsty to know God, to walk with God. I began to share with him my burden about prayer, about revival, about evangelism, about reaching the world for Christ. And oh, he was just soaking it up, soaking it up, soaking it up. About three years ago, Jolly sent me an email, and he said, Sammy, do you think we could have, and he started, by the way, he started a church out in an area where there was no churches. He started a church, and it was almost all young people who came to Christ. And, and this young church, He, it grew to about 200 and uh, he said, Sammy, he said, I've got all these young believers. I've got some of them who are, who are ready to be leaders, but, but, but they need more discipleship. Do you think we could have a Skype video call and you just disciple them? I said, let's try it. So we got 40 of these young people together. They met together. I called into the church on Skype. And I could see them. They could see me. And, and we, I just ministered to them, discipling them for about three weeks. And, and he, he took his computer, attached it to a TV. They would ask questions. I would respond to them. And for three weeks, we did this. At the end of three weeks, he said to me, he said, Sammy, he said, you know what? I think we could do an evangelistic meeting with this. He said, you think we could do it? I said, I don't know. We can try it. He said, let's do it. I said, okay. We had an evangelistic meeting. 300 people showed up. 100 gave their hearts to Christ. He said to me, he said, Sammy, boy, this is wonderful. He said, but we had a guy who came to that meeting who is a church planner, and he wants to plant a church in a village where there are no Christians, and he wants to know if we can do a Skype meeting there. I don't know. We can try it. Let's do it. We did a Skype meeting in that place. A hundred people came to Christ and we planted a church. I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but for the next year, we did six Skype meetings. They grew and they grew and grew until he said, Sammy, I think we ought to dream big. Man, I've been praying. I think we ought to dream big. I said, what do you mean dream big? He said, I think we could have a a meeting with 10,000 people in attendance. I said, you think so? He said, Can we try it? I said, let's try it. We had a meeting. 10,000 people showed up, not to hear a preacher on stage platform, but to hear a preacher through a screen from America. I was in my office, in my home, preached to 10,000 people, and 5,000 came to Christ. We had so many people come to Christ, we said, we've got to do something to help these new believers grow. So, we started a Facebook page. And on that Facebook page, we put up videos that Jolly and I made on how to pray, how to seek the face of God. We started putting them up on on, on a daily basis, every day, a new video. I'd make it in English and then he had translated into Punjabi. The first month on that Facebook page, we had 500,000 views, January 2017. It grew every month until May of 2017. We had 1 million views during May. I realized God was doing something. I started having the materials translated. We now have it in 10 languages. And we are averaging now 6.5 million views every month on Facebook in 10 different pages. But it began with a young man who would come to me at breakfast and say, Sammy, I got to know, how do you pray? How do you lead someone to Christ? How, How do you share Jesus? How do you disciple? How do you question after question after question? Hungry and thirsty, a young Joshua who refused when Sammy got tired. Sammy got weary. And Sammy had to leave the tent of the meeting. Young Jolly stayed behind. sought the face of God. He told me, he said, Sammy, there is a spirit of revival that has captured the hearts of the youth of Punjab. You know what those, those young people are doing? And what I'm telling you is just Facebook, what the stats that I just gave you, just Facebook stats that we have. But you know what they're doing? They're downloading our stuff And there are hundreds and hundreds of WhatsApp groups that have been started. Some of you don't even know what that is. I didn't either. Don't worry. But young people started these WhatsApp groups, discipling. Youth pastors started using their discipleship method as WhatsApp using our videos that we're putting on there. Listen, God's given us tools that if there was someone who's meeting with God and mentoring a young Joshua to meet with God, and God came and God visited, God's given us tools that it could spread around the world. To the darkest place. Let me tell you, I, I said, and I am, I'm, I'm acting like David now. We're going to close, but let me tell you what, Jolly so inspired me that we started these other Facebook pages. One of them was Farsi. I don't know if you know what Farsi is. That's a Persian language. That's the language that Iranians speak because we've, I've had a lot of ministry among Iranians and we thought. We need to get it into them. There are a lot, a lot of new believers, a revival taking place in Iran. So we need to get into Iran. So we started a Facebook page in Farsi. But there was a problem. And the problem was that uh, Iran blocks Facebook. And Facebook blocks Iran. <laughs> so it couldn't get into Iran. So you know what happened? It got diverted to Afghanistan. Dari is the language that is spoken in Afghanistan, which is very, very similar to Farsi. And so the people in Afghanistan understand the Farsi language. Do you know the page with our largest following is Farsi? We have 26,000 people who follow that page. Almost all of them under the age of 34. 90%. That's stats from Facebook, 90% young people, God's given you tools, your parents, your grandparents may not understand them, you understand them. Jolly understood this. Grandparents, parents, you need to be a model of prayer. Young people. If you will capture this spirit of prayer, God will give you ideas of how to reach the world for Jesus. There's never been a generation like this. What we need, what we need is in the DNA of Alamo City. And that is one praying person. One praying person here, one praying person there, one praying person there, one praying person there, one praying person. Just let it catch and ignite, going to the tent of the meeting, each getting in our tent and meeting with the Lord and letting God meet with us. God will do great and mighty things. Let's stand together in a spirit of prayer about with our heads bowed her eyes closed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church and what it's meant to in me over so many years, over decades. Lord, thank you. Father, I thank you for these people. Lord, I thank you for their love for you, God. I, I thank you that they've experienced amazing grace. God, I pray you'd raise up some friends of God, some friends of yours. I pray you'd raise up people that you could speak to -to face-to-face just as a man speaks to a friend. God, I pray you'd raise up people who would experience your presence on a regular basis. God, I pray you'd raise up young people, a new generation that would meet with you God, I pray that your spirit would move and work among us. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just work in one person's heart, one man's heart, one woman's heart, one young person's heart. One, raise up many one praying persons in this congregation. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask our prayer partners just to come up here right now. And as they make their way down here, I believe that God's spoken to many of you. And if God has spoken to you and you say, Sammy, I believe God wants me to be one of those one praying people. Would you just lift your hand and say, pray for me, Sammy. Pray for me. I believe God wants me to to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. God wants me to take on this mantle of prayer. Amen, 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 amen. Father, thank you for the young people who have lifted their hands. Thank you for the adults who have lifted their hands. God, I pray that, Lord, it would be more than a lifting of a hand. I pray that, Lord, you would raise them up. Raise them up to seek your face until you come or until revival comes. Oh, God, I pray for, for you to move and work. Lord, I pray for prayers. I pray for intercessors. I pray for these women who lifted their hands, these men, these young people, Lord, work in our hearts. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. Thank you, Father. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you said, Sammy, pray for me. I pray for you, and, and you just need to to pray, if you want to come pray with one of the prayer warriors, say, just just agree with me that God would make me that person of prayer. Or if you want to just come and kneel up here at the front, you just right now slip out and you come and kneel at the front. We're just going to take a few moments here before we dismiss and you just come and you just pray and you just let God do his work in your life, making you that person of prayer, seeking the face of God, saying, God, here's my life. You come right now all over he said, pray for me. You just come and kneel, stand, pray, pray with one of these prayer warriors. Let God do that work in your life and use you right now. Anyone else, I'm going to pray over these here in just a moment, and then we're going to dismiss. Anyone else, you just come right now. Father, thank you for these, your children, who love you, who worship you. Thank you for them. Thank you, Father. And I pray that, Lord, that prayer wouldn't just be a religious duty or a religious obligation for them, but I pray, Father, it would be a part of their spiritual DNA. Oh, God, I pray you would make them intercessors. I pray you make them women of prayer. I pray you make them men of prayer. I pray you just put the mantle of prayer upon them, Father. I pray that, Lord, they would meet with you in the tent of their meeting wherever that is. Father, I pray that this not just be a Sunday thing, but Father, I pray that you'd make them, give them the grace and the heart to seek you daily. God, I pray you'd use them to touch people around the world, to touch their own family, first of all, Father, to touch their friends, to touch their communities, Father, to touch this church. God, I pray a spirit of prayer would engulf these hearts. A spirit of seeking your face. Oh, thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, put that that mantle of intercession upon each one of these here. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray. Hallelujah. Amen.